Hi, everybody. Welcome to Coach's Corner. And this week, I've got a great interview for you with an old friend of mine, Amanda Steinberg. She has a new book out called Worth It, and I just finished it on my plane ride home this week, and it's so good. It's all about empowering yourself when it comes to your finances, and it includes so many tips about money management, increasing your financial IQ, but also how self-worth connects to net worth. She takes you through how to rewrite your money story and really how to update your beliefs about money, which will up-level your relationship with money and also your net worth. It's such a great book. Like I said, definitely go out and get it. It's called Worth It. And I want to tell you a little bit more about Amanda before we dive into our awesome conversation. Amanda launched a site called Daily Worth in 2009 to bring a fresh voice and an outsider's perspective to personal finance. She was a successful computer programmer earning six figures, but had built such an expensive life that even her best attempts at saving and investing were totally wiped out by life's unexpected complications. Frustrated by her inability to build net worth, she launched Daily Worth from an attic office in Philadelphia with a newborn in her arms. Today, Daily Worth's newsletter reaches more than 1 million subscribers and continues to grow. In 2015, she started a digital investing service, Worth FM, which received front page coverage in the New York Times business section. Oprah selected her to the exclusive Super Soul 100, and Forbes named her one of the 21 New American Money Masters. Amanda has also appeared on Good Morning America, Today, CNN, and MSNBC. She is the author of the book I'm raving about, Worth It, Your Life, Your Money, Your Terms, that came out this year. We dive into the book, and Amanda gives some great tips. So get your notepad ready and enjoy my interview with Amanda Steinberg. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Christine, I'm so happy to be with you. I wanted to begin by reading a little passage from your book because I think this is a great launching point for us. You write, money gives you choices. More income helps point you in the direction of safety and security. But true prosperity requires that women step into the role of the money manager without apprehension, guilt, fear, or shame. It's time. Owning your power and money means owning your worth. I read that, and that's only on page 13, and I was like, oh, that's what this book is about. This is about way more than IRAs and all that, which we'll get into and you talk about. This is really about the relationship we have with ourselves and how that translates to our relationship with money. Yes, it's a, it's a very rich subject and it's, it's about way money is really only the, is only the transitional object. It's about, it's, it's really about women's prosperity and our ability to prosperity in a society where dependency is no longer required. And that's what's so exciting. And I also think intimidating for a lot of people. Oh yeah. It's both. It's both. And why do you think that money, particularly for women and investing and anything that has to do with finances can be a little intimidating and daunting for women in particular. Well, I think it's because we're in a we're in a really fascinating period of transition where since the beginning of written and oral history of the humans, women have been the nurturers because we were the ones who delivered babies. It just had to be that way. However, starting in the 1950s with birth control and 
you know, the Equal Credit Opportunity Act and then the way in which marriage dynamics have been changing. Women for the first time are navigating a world where that can be different. And, you know, it's it's really a very individual choice. Some women want the traditional family unit and that is absolutely fine. And other women don't. Um, the challenge for those who don't, uh, who want to be able to control their own destinies more are dealing with a lot of cognitive dissonance because it's, we're, we're fighting against, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of how things just were. And as a result of that, you know, all of the myths and all of our cultural norms are really so, so, so steeped in, in the way we think about things. And this is a branch off from that. So that's, that's very challenging psychologically to see your, see your own identity as possibly moving outside of a context that's been the norm forever. Can we unpack that a little bit? Can you talk about some of those myths that even though modern day women may be like, oh no, I don't believe that, it still kind of is in the unconscious and it still is percolating out there as one of those myths that we buy into and often get stuck in. Can you give some examples? Yeah. I mean, what, what I'm most interested right now is I'm actually working with a neuroscientist on developing an article on this because I can't, I haven't gotten to the bottom of it yet. And part of the challenge around, um, what makes someone naturally female or naturally male is that you can't separate nature from nurture. You really only have the nurture to look at, but as a result, what those myths are, are that, that there's certain hardwired ways of being that are female versus male However, when you look at the research, it's, it's just as easy to prove as it is disprove that um, the female biology leans toward nurturing. Um, so, you know, that's, I don't know if that's quite the example you're looking for, yeah. um, but that's, but that's giving you a more in-depth, you know, it's, it's so much of science is like starts with a hypothesis and then tries to prove that hypothesis. So if we're all, so depending on the motivation of the researcher, Obviously, um, it's 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 a it's a hard one to navigate what's cause and what's correlative and what's reverse correlative and that's where I'm in the middle of that still haven't haven't gotten to a place where I have sound bites yet. So if we if some part of us believes that females lead more towards nurturing, how does that impact our prosperity and our relationship with money? Well, it impacts our prosperity because if you lean towards nurturing, then you get your happiness and joy in taking and validation and taking care of others. So anytime you have a savings account or investment account, or you're prioritizing yourself over others, that actually has a negative impact on your emotions. You feel selfish. You feel like you're taking advantage of someone else. Um, and you're afraid you're not going to be loved. I mean, let's just call it like what it is. So that those, those nurturing tendencies or those selfless tendencies, which are, is a slightly broader way of looking at it, which impacts more women than just the nurturing component is actually counter to being able to taking care of yourself financially. Mm. Because taking care of yourself financially means that you, for lack of a better word, not that you're selfish, but that you are putting yourself first, that you're not just taking care of others and focused on that, that you are really looking at what's the best investment for you? Is helping your sister with her plane ticket going to put you more in debt? So is that, right. is that kind of an example of how that works inside our mind? Yeah, exactly. And we've, and we've been trained to be that way. That is where women get valued today still. It's not for investing in your IRA. So you are fighting not only against your own internal mechanisms, but also the external ones. And it's a lot of pressure. 
It is a lot of pressure because I feel like, well, I feel like today women are expected to be at, be everything. Like not only you're supposed to be nurturing, but you're also supposed to be this amazing career woman and incredible friend and spouse and mother. And this whole having right? it all Seriously. thing is like, oh my gosh, like ha, ha, we need to clone ourselves to actually be able to do it. And I know that you, know, you sh- what I love so much about your book too is you're really candid about your own life. You're completely transparent about a lot of things that you've been through. And can you share a little bit about your kind of relationship with money in your 20s and how that, like how your lifestyle and your, I think you use the word, your busyness spell puts you in a place financially that looked good from the outside, but actually wasn't working at all? Yeah. You know, the thing that's always been different about me is that I've always had an oversized ambition. And especially as a kid and as a young woman, that was not it was not popular socially. (laughs) It was awkward and intense, (laughs) but you know, by the time you become an adult, at least for me, I was able to own it more. I did a lot of, you know, transformational work on myself and really surrendered to who I am rather than trying to fit myself into the traditional feminine box that I thought I was supposed to be in. Um, but as a result, I kind of stacked my life really early on with all of the things that I thought I wanted, bought a house, got married, had babies, started a business, became an expert in computer programming, like all the things that was going to allow me to build things in the world. And the big thing that I didn't understand at that point was that investments that look like investments can actually become liabilities. Um, And I had just stacked way too much risk by the time I was 25, way too many things eating at cash that I didn't understand that ended up putting me deep in debt as opposed to owning assets. Mm. And what were some of those things? Uh, My house. Mm -hmm. I bought a gorgeous house in Philadelphia and I was coming out of New York City. So anything to me that was less than a New York City apartment was a logical financial decision, not understand the run of anything about home ownership. How much interest do you pay on your mortgage impacts whether or not you're even building equity? How much cost to furnish and repair and heat a large old house really kind of eats up whatever ROI the market would be producing for you that year? And just the stress of dealing with that while also running a business, which has an ebb and flow of cash flow. So there are just some months where between the quarterly taxes that you owe, the window repairs, the nanny I had to hire for the baby, you know, for my mm-hmm. babies so that I could then go make the money to pay the taxes, to pay for the heating bills. You know, it's just, it, um, it, it, it was I, way too much risk, way too fast. Yeah. And I think a lot of people listening can relate to that because I think that there's a lot of, you know, pressure and expectation to, oh, get a house, own a house. Once you own a home, that's a great financial investment and it's a great asset, but it's not always. And What I really love about what you teach in Worth It is how to have a more healthy relationship with money and how to really figure out your net worth, which is much different than just having a lot of assets or having a lot of debt. It's really getting clear about, okay, what what is my net worth and what does my money picture really look like? So can you talk through, because I want everybody to go get the book and I also want them to get some great exercises in this interview. And I think the net worth calculator is, is a great one. Can you explain that one so that people have an idea of how to calculate their net worth? So when it comes to managing money, it's super overwhelming for most people. Only 30% of women that we've studied, and actually all people are successful when it comes to budgeting, which can be super demoralizing, especially when it's held up as the way to be good with money. 
So the reason why I focus on net worth is because it's the single number that helps you understand your financial position. And I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. Your net worth is, in summary, everything that you own, like your house and your retirement account, minus everything you owe, like your mortgage and your credit card debt. What is that single number? And is it positive or is it negative? And what this does is it really helps you answer all these questions. Like if I have an extra thousand dollars, should I put it towards my mortgage or should I put it in my savings account or should I invest it in my business? If you start to get to understand how it is you calculate your net worth, you can start to evaluate all those decisions within that context. Mm. And this was something I actually didn't learn until, I don't know, maybe I was about 30 years old. I, I, I had no, I thought if I was budgeting that I had good financial behavior. I thought that that was enough. And but I don't teach you. No, no one no. teaches you this stuff. No one teaches. I took a year of Texas history in school. I wish, <laughs> and, and, and economics, but that didn't tell me anything about money management. And so it is incumbent upon us to to learn this and to educate our ourselves on it. And that's one of the things you also champion in the book is you can't put your head in the sand. Anybody can learn about money and understand money. Because I think that, again, a lot of people, especially women, and this has been me too, think it's too complicated or too hard. So for people that believe that, that think it's just overwhelming where do they start? Where's a good place to well, begin? First, recognize that, um, especially if you're a woman, that you've been socialized to think this way, and it's not your fault. It's actually been made incredibly complex. No one has packaged this in a way that takes the end user into mind. <laughs> the mm -hmm. usability, to use technical jargon, um, is quite poor in personal finance, and most people feel this way. You know, at the end of the day, whether or not you take your head out of the sand is up to you. Some people live their entire lives and are happier keeping their head in the sand. What I am offering is an invitation to reconsider your relationship to money and that perhaps there's a different way of looking at it so that regardless of whether your net worth is negative or your net worth is positive, that by creating a narrative for yourself that enables you to see possibility inside money, no matter what your financial circumstance is, is ultimately going to lead to a life that is more in line with the life that you want. Mm. And not just playing out your old limiting beliefs and your money story, which is another thing that you talk about in the book, is we all create these stories about money, about what it takes to have money, about what money means. So can you take us through an, uh, a little bit of an overview of what our money story is, how we can understand it and really identify where we might be holding ourselves back due to what we believe, and then how we transform it? Yeah. You know, it really goes back to early childhood and it oftentimes is formed in relationship to our parents, our siblings, or the communities in which we grow up in. Um, and they're very, very core decisions that you made about money that they pop up when you're in the most stressed circumstances. So for me in my twenties, when I would get the $15,000 tax bill or the $7,000 window repair bill that we had absolutely no money for and limited credit for at that point, um, the thing that would come up for me over and over again was I'm not a saver. I'm a spender, but I earn so much that it will all be okay. And it was this um, it, it's kind of a ridiculous logic pattern. If you think about it, just because you earn more doesn't mean you're going to have more. This is clear now, 
But to me, it was the narrative that I had developed as a survival mechanism over the years in order to deal with the fact that I felt like I was out of control. But unfortunately, it wasn't until I identified it, I realized that that story was perpetuating that feeling of out of control rather than shifting it. Mm. So a lot of people that listen to the show definitely have a money story around like, I can't afford it. Like there's not enough money. And a lot of people struggle with, with debt and never feeling like they can get out of it. And so much of it is tied to the self-worth aspect too. So how can someone work on their self-worth and their net worth at the same time? How do those two go together? What are some daily practices? How can they start to shift mindset? What are just little things, someone who has student loans and credit card debt and doesn't see how they can start getting out of the financial hole? What are just baby steps they can start to take? The most important baby step that you can start to take is um, not having this, like, I need to get rid of debt like it's a disease. Almost everyone, and because mortgages count, live with some level of debt. The thing that is challenging about debt is how much interest you're paying on it. So if you have, um, you know, 25% interest on your credit card versus 3% interest on your mortgage, obviously you want to move more of that down to the 3% so that it's not costing you so much. So first it's releasing this idea that debt is something you need to get rid of. And instead thinking about how is it that I pay less Um, How do I consolidate? How do I refinance my loans so that I have less interest so that it's not as taxing to have have this? The second thing that is super important is that when you have money that you are going to pay towards debt, and this is about not treating debt like a disease that you need to just cure immediately. What a lot of people do is if they have an extra $1,000 and let's say they've got $10,000 on a credit card, they're going to put that entire $10,000 toward the credit card because seeing that go down is where they feel like they are making progress. But the critical thing to do there is to set up a separate savings account and instead put $500 in a savings account and $500 towards the debt. That way you're actually building a cash cushion so that you don't go further into debt because life is full of curveballs. It's almost like you have to build integrity and confidence through small wins so that you so that you have the motivation and desire to move forward. Otherwise, it really is demoralizing. Mm-hmm. And I think the small wins is important. Another thing, another tip that uh, you gave in the book that I love is if you're going to make a, a purchase, like let's say you're going to spend $200 on an amazing pair of shoes that you've been wanting forever, also put $200 in savings. So whenever you're spending, you're also putting that same amount in savings. So it just starts to set up that practice of money in, money out and increase our awareness of, okay, if I have this to spend, I should also have it to save. And that that's absolutely on point. And that's really one of the bottom lines of, of the book worth it is about encouraging women to see ourselves as whole and valuable because we have to literally recondition ourselves to see ourselves that way. Cause that's not how we've been raised in most cases. And so all of this, it's not just about saving versus spending. It's about saying myself is just as important as the fact that I am buying this sweater so that I show up in an interview and look put together or whatever the reason is that you're buying or just because you like the sweater. That's really what this work is about is recognizing that there's a problem, recognizing the deep conditioning of women to feel chaotic and frenetic around money and to, and to figure out very intentional ways of rewiring our brains um, cause they're far more malleable than we ever believed and showing that and, and training ourselves to see ourselves a different way. 
That's the only way out of this mess. And I think too, how we reward ourselves. Like a lot of times I'll see women, oh, I just worked so hard or something happened and I'm going to just go spend money on a pair of shoes or this dress. And we don't see investing in our savings or our retirement accounts or any of our investment as a way to reward ourselves. We want like the, the, the stuff or the experience and we see putting money into savings as, oh, it's withholding. I'm punishing myself. So I think we have to kind of rewire our brain that way too and see that anytime we put money aside, that that is a way to celebrate. That is a, a way to really take care of ourselves, not just now, but, but our future self as well. So I have a tip on that. Yeah. It's called the savings slide. And anytime that you make a decision not to spend money, you actually move the amount of whatever you're about to spend into your savings account. And then you do like a slide dance. Mm. I've been, I've been teaching everyone my savings slide dance, um, because it actually, it'll, it's like creating a boost of serotonin in your brain so that you start to get excited about how you're going to feel. Cause you get to dance when you move money into savings. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I'm, I so wish this was a video podcast right now and I could have you do the savings slide. <laughs> I know I'm going to, I'll pull the, I'll try to get a Giphy together and, yeah. uh, and send it over to you. Yes, please do. But I love that because again, that's how we rewire our brain. We, we do it through new patterns of behavior. That's the only way to do it. We can think about it as much as we want. We can tell ourselves affirmations as much as we want. But until we start to shift our behavior, it doesn't change. And I think another uh, big shift that you talk about in the book and was a huge shift for me as well is asking questions and not being afraid to look quote unquote stupid. I think that's what stops a lot of people, especially women as well, is we, we don't know about like our 401k investing plan at work, or we don't know what our financial planners are doing with money, or we're married and we don't understand everything that's going on with the home or with finances or investments. And we don't want to look stupid, so we don't ask. But in doing that, we're, we're completely, again, we're ignorant and our head is in the sand. So how do we get over that I don't want to look stupid block? You know, what's so funny is that this is still almost ubiquitous among women. And because, you know, when I started Daily Worth almost nine years ago now, um, this was still a really, I made everyone so uncomfortable when I told them what I was doing. They're like, why are you doing that? That's so taboo. And it just, you know, don't you just want to be taken care of Amanda? You know, if, if women were interested in money, they'd be reading Yahoo finance. Um, and so it was still this, um, this dark area that no one really wanted to talk about. That's changed so much in the last nine years, which is really, really exciting to see. And what's happening is that everyone's kind of coming out of the woodwork and going, I don't understand this stuff. And then seeing that nobody else understands it either. <laughs> exactly. Probably the plan administrators at your company don't even understand what the asset allocation is of the 401k, possibly. So it's like everyone is in the same dark hole, and but just no one's admitted it to each other. So no one realizes that the, everybody else is too. Oh, yeah. And so to help people out of the dark hole a little bit, people definitely go get the book because Amanda takes you through a lot of different financial terms that you may have never really understood and breaks them down in a really easy to understand way. But just to give people a bit of an overview, can you talk a little bit about retirement and the kind of retirement account everyone should have and just a little bit of investing 101, just some basic things so people start to feel empowered and see that it's actually rather interesting and not that scary. Totally. And I, I want to bring it back to the net worth, which is that not everyone needs a retirement account. 
Um, I have plenty of friends in New York City who own uh, amazing real estate who are choosing to invest in their real estate rather than their 401ks. It's always a guess, of course, um, but it's not like everyone needs a retirement account. It's an instrument that has some benefits and some costs. The, here's how a retirement account works. Basically, if you live in the United States, um, there's different words for this in other countries. You can be, either get an employer-sponsored plan or you can get one as an individual. If you go through your company, it's typically called a 401k. In the nonprofit world, it's a 403b. And then if you either can't get a 401k through work or you want to do it yourself for another reason, it's called an individual retirement account or an IRA. This is not an actual investment product. It's a tax situation. Basically, what the government has done is it wants you, the, our government, wants us to save toward our own retirement. And in return, they give certain tax benefits to you in order for doing so. So you have to pay less taxes in order to have more money later in life. So there's a few advantages to this. To me, it's an advantage of knowing that I'm giving a gift to my older self and I'm my goal is to not to work until I die. <laughs> Pretty simple and straightforward. You know, there's of course many temptations, uh, especially as an entrepreneur, where I would much rather have access to that cash, but knowing that I can't touch it gives me peace of mind and forces me to find creative solutions to other problems. Um, the other benefit of a retirement account is if you are invested in low cost index funds or mutual funds or ETFs, there's a certain crossovers and distinctions there. Basically, that just means lots and lots and lots of stocks and bonds together in one little nugget. Um, then what's going to happen is, is that money, it's going to go up sometimes, it's going to go down sometimes, but historically over 10 year, 20 year periods, it always goes up by about between five and 7% per year. So that money that you've invested is not only giving you some tax benefits, it's also growing. So you'll have a lot more of it by the time you get to retirement. That's, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. That's, and see, that wasn't so hard to understand. Basic, simple, and people can definitely take action on that. You know, one of the things that was huge for me when I transferred from being an employee to having my own business was switching from a 401k to an IRA. And now I have a SEP IRA as well for my business. And one of the statistics that I was blown away with in the book is how much money is left in people's 401ks when they switch companies or leave a company. They don't take their money with them. I, can, do you remember that? Trillions. Trillions. I think it's like trillion, $3 trillion it has been left. Ah, oh, it's crazy. So when people are switching jobs or leaving a mm -hmm. job, what do they need to make sure they do? They need to do a rollover. Um, and what a rollover means is you don't want all these orphaned 401ks sitting out there. It's still in your name. You can still go back 20 years later and get it. It's your money. It's not like it gets absorbed if you don't bring it with you. It's just, you might, there's two risks. You might lose it and forget that it's there. And also it may be using, uh, an investment methodology from 10 years ago that we've learned how to do far better. So it may be grossly under-optimized and overpriced. So what you want to do is, um, really, you know, I, I recommend a variety of different companies to check out just to start. Um, if you want a traditional company, you can look at Fidelity, Vanguard, or Schwab. And if you would like to use a more digital platform, I recommend looking at Betterment or Wealthfront or the company that we started here at Daily Worth two years ago, worthfm.com. All three, all six of those companies, I can repeat those again, or you can include them later, um, are do what are called passive portfolios 
which means that you don't have to pick the stocks. You don't have to know what you're invested in. You want to go for the most globally diversified, low cost collection of stocks that you can. Got it. Can you talk, because this is all amazing information and I know that people can find a lot more information. Well, first in the book, Worth It, and also at Daily Worth. Can you talk a little bit about Daily Worth and how that can support people in rewriting their money story and becoming more financially empowered? Totally. So the company I run, it actually is technically technically called Worth Financial, but that's not a consumer brand. That's just the umbrella brand that sits over lots of different businesses. And essentially what we've built here over the last nine years is a three-tiered process, um, which we call Engage, Educate, Invest. So Daily Worth is the Engage layer, where all you do is put your email address in or take one of the quizzes that's on Daily Worth. Um, and then you get a daily email that starts out with a conversation around money, helping you acclimate yourself to this conversation, why it matters, what you're dealing with. And then a daily article that is very media friendly and intentionally designed to entertain and engage you as well as teach you. Um, and that is something that most of our subscribers do for years, just because they're getting comfortable with something that they otherwise weren't comfortable talking about. Um, the second layer of Worth Financial is called um, Money Clarity. That's our education layer. So when you're ready to sign up for a course, you can go to moneyclarity.com. And we have a series of 10 challenges to take you through to help you implement all the stuff you wish you could do or get around or understand, but just need like 20-minute exercises that are fun and celebratory to get you to do them. And then it, when you're ready, you can also check out worthfm.com where you can set up a savings account, an investment account, and a retirement account and implement all the things that you've been thinking about and learning about. I love it. I love this. This is such a step above basic budgeting. <laughs> it really does increase <laughs> your financial IQ. And it's the big picture. It is the it's big picture. It's taking ownership, you know? It is taking ownership. And, you know, although this was, book was written primarily for women, I think there's a lot of helpful advice for men too, just anyone, because I find that men tie their self-worth to their net worth as, as well and, and have the same questions and often feel even more intimidated to ask because they're quote unquote supposed to know. So this is all just amazing information. I'm going to put links to everything in the show notes. The book is called Worth It. Um, just closing thoughts, Amanda, what, what is something, if you could go back to your 22-year-old self, let's say, and give her some financial advice, what would be the top three things you would tell her? That uh, life is really complicated um, and you really want to keep your overhead as low as possible just until you get your sea legs around what it means to own real estate or own a business or the lifestyle it is, you know, you're still discovering yourself forever. The less you create financial commitments, the more freedom you're going to have to explore. The next advice I have is there's, we, there's so much pressure out there to have a life that looks a certain way, get married, have children. I'm deeply encouraged by the fact that so many people are now questioning those as the only way to reach happiness. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm not saying don't have children. I'm saying question what it is you're doing for yourself or doing because you think you're supposed to, because if you do all the things you think you're supposed to do, they're quite expensive and they may not get you where you want to go. Mm. If you do all the things that you're supposed to do or that other people tell you you should do, yeah, you'll never get to where you want to go. Well said. Thank you so much, Amanda. Anything else, any other links you want to send people to or things that they should be aware of in terms of how they can engage more with you and your work? No, I mean, I, the, I mean, of course, just come to Daily Worth. That's where you can find everything. And the, the other kind of 
invitation I give to everyone is to treat money like a game. You know, it's like, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a metric. It's, it's overwhelming. There's so many things pulling at it all the time. Add those emotional layers. Ugh, what a drag, like give yourself the freedom to have some lightheartedness around it. Um, because it can also be fun and you can also create new ways of prosperity for yourself. And it's a lot easier if you aren't, um, uh, worrying about it so much because it's just, it is what it is. It is what it is. Awesome. Thank you so much for bringing so much of this kind of out of the shadow and into the light for people to really own their financial power and to know that they're worth it. Because when we feel like we have understanding and dominion over our finances, we feel a sense of safety and security. It really does help us feel more safe and secure. And when we feel empowered about that, we can feel more prosperous in all aspects of our life. So thank you for helping us deal with something that that's part Part of all of our lives, as much as so many people would like to say, oh, money doesn't matter. It does. It's, it a, it's, a, it's a requirement for life. And it really it's can enhance our, our quality of life as well. And the more that we're empowered about it, the more we can make a difference in our own life and then consequently the lives of others. So thank you for the difference that you're making. My pleasure. 